Good morning, everybody. Hey, we're in part three of this series. Before we jump into that, I want to give you a little bit of an update on our um, Give, Serve, Love campaign. We started that back in um, November, and uh, we've got one week left. So December 17th um, is the deadline for those of you who want to be um, a part of this. For those of you who might not know what this is, this is our way um, of loving people, uh, whether or not God matters to them. We believe that everybody matters to God, even if God doesn't matter to them. And this is our way financially of showing that both locally and around the world with uh, missions partners um, and organizations. So, so far through last, I think Wednesday, uh, we've, we've collected over just over $27,000. Um, and that is a great number, but we want to get all the way to our goal, which is about $84,000. So can we raise that much money in the next week? We'll see. All right. And I, your pastor just gave this past Thursday, so he's a little slow. Okay? Got till December 17th, and then we'll, we'll share um, the total on uh, Christmas Eve services. Okay? So, um, two weeks to Christmas, that might terrify some of you, that excites um, some of you. I don't know about you, but um, our mailbox at home has been started to fill up with all kinds of Christmas cards and Christmas letters. Um, I don't know, show of hands, how many of you are Christmas card people? You send out, you know, get pictures of you and your um, family out in the middle of a field somewhere in September and send that to all your friends? Yeah. Um, how many of you are annoyed with the people who just raised their hand because you're not Christmas card people? Okay. How many of you don't care about Christmas cards? Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. I'm not really a Christmas card person. We're not really Christmas card people. Um, but I, I, I saw a great idea on fa- Facebook this week from one of my college baseball buddies that I think some of you could use in the future if you're a Christmas card person, okay? It's kind of creative, kind of cryptic, but a unique way to wish somebody a Merry Christmas. Here's all you put on your Christmas card, okay? It's all you put on it. Just put the alphabet. They'll get the card. They'll wonder what's wrong with you, right? They'll, they'll shoot you a message. What in the world kind of Christmas card is this? And then you just let the tension build for a few weeks. Don't respond. Let them think you're crazy. Let them think they're crazy. Let them live in suspense. And then you send them this message back, no L. (laughs) Some of you will get that later today. (laughs) Has absolutely nothing to do with the message. I just thought I'd throw it out there. Now, this, uh, this series is uh, going, we're going through some of the Christmas um, carols, or maybe you could call them Christmas hymns, um, if you'd like to, but these are songs that connect um, Christians worldwide, it connects um, Christians throughout the generations, because these are songs that have, have been sung for hundreds and hundreds of years. So yes, we're not talking about Santa Baby or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Frosty the Snowman. I have no qualms with Frosty or Santa or Rudolph, um, but the songs we're talking about are not just the songs that, that talk about the spirit of the season, but talk about the, the, the story of the season, the message, the truth of what Christmas is about. So carols speak of this incredible truth of God becoming one of us, born in the flesh, born of a virgin to rescue us. And and I don't don't think humanity, and, and it's why we have them. We can't just talk about that. 
We've got to sing about it because something happens in our souls when we sing words that are true, and, and something happens when we sing them together year after year after year, generation after generation. So we've talked about two of them so far, joy to the world and go tell it on the mountain. Today, um, we're going to look at um, probably one of the oldest Christmas carols that we sing. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And some of you are already starting to hum it in your mind. Now, the words of this carol, uh, written in the ninth century, so 1,200 years old, 1,200 years old lyrics. Um, uh, Taylor Swift is pretty popular. She's having a moment right now, okay? But I guarantee you, nobody will be singing Taylor Swift in 1,200 years. We've been singing this. We've been reciting this. We've been talking about this for 1,200 years. We don't know who wrote it. Um, More than likely a monk or a priest And it was part of something that they called the Vespers service. Um, The monks who lived in monasteries would come together in the evenings and for a worship service, and they would sing, they would recite, they would chant different passages of scripture or different verses that they wrote down. And then during the Advent season, Gregorian monks began to write down um, these scriptural truths based on the Old and New Testament passages that describe the titles or names of Jesus. They came up with seven titles that were descriptive of of who Jesus was. And then in the last week of Advent, the seven days leading up to Christmas Eve, they would join together in these evening services and they would recite one of the seven verses from this hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It happened for hundreds of years. And then in the 15th century, music was put to the words. And then in the 19th century, this Latin hymn was translated into English, to which I say, praise him. So I do not know Latin, right? So we're going to look at the seven verses of this this carol, um, what the title of Jesus is describing, and even some of its, uh, its connection in scripture. And I'd actually like for us to read these out loud. So you're actually going to have to pay attention the entire message. Okay. So all seven verses of this hymn. So let's just start with the first one. This is um, one that you've heard before. For those of you who know the song, you don't know the song. Um, we're just going to say this out loud together. Ready? Here we go. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. It's hard to say it without singing it, isn't it? So most Christmas carols are incredibly celebratory, and rightfully so. Christmas is a season to rejoice and to be glad. But it's also true that people like us, complex emotional human beings feel multiple things during this season. There's excitement and there's longing. There's joy and concerns. We can celebrate and hurt. We can rejoice and grieve. And sometimes we're doing both of those things at the same time. Um, This this carol kind of captures this reality. Um, Ransom captive Israel. 
that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. There are two ways to interpret that line. One is to look at that phrase through the historical lens, the the 4,000 years of Jewish history before the time of Jesus, because the nation of Israel went from one exile to another, from Egypt to Babylon to Assyria to Rome. For 4,000 years, they were constantly oppressed, constantly in captivity. But it it wasn't just a geopolitical captivity because they found their souls in captivity to sin. They they couldn't break the cycle of geopolitical captivity and they couldn't break the cycle of sin either. So for 4,000 years, they prayed and longed for freedom from their oppressors, freedom from their their sin. the, the, The word ransom simply means a sufficient payment that brings freedom. So for 4,000 years, the people of God prayed, God, would you deliver us? Would you free us? Would you save us? And then about 700 years before the coming of Jesus, God reveals his plan of deliverance to the prophet Isaiah. We, he, he would say it like this in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him... Emmanuel. So he's not, he's not going to send another prophet or another angel or another human king or a warrior. God is going to save his people by sending himself. God with us. Emmanuel. And this was, this was mind-blowing. It was mind-blowing historically because of the majority of human history. The question was, how do we get to God? That's why you see all of these gigantic, you know, buildings and structures that are built real high. How do we get to God? And God says, you can't. You can't get to me, but I'm going to come to you. I'll come to you. It's the same prophecy from Isaiah that the angel quotes to Joseph in a dream. Uh, Joseph finds out that his, um, his betrothed fiance is pregnant. His plan is to quietly divorce her. The angel shows up in a dream. Matthew 1, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the angel points back to Isaiah's words and says, Joseph, (laughs) dude, you are right in the middle of God's unfolding story. Don't give up now. Don't run now. God is, God is coming to his people through your fiance's child, through the child that is growing in your fiance. So, so we can look at this through a historical lens, how God answered this 4,000-year-old prayer of longing and misery by coming to be with us. But there's a second lens that we can, we can view this through. We can interpret it in the present We can interpret it as right now. Ransom captive Israel who mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. There's at least two times in the New Testament where we're told the church of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, are the new Israel, the new family, the new community of God. Now, that doesn't mean the church has replaced Israel. God still plans to keep his covenant with them, but the church has been grafted into the people of God, that anyone who places their faith in Jesus, Jew or Gentile, that they're a part of the new covenant 
the new family, the new community of God. And, and then new, new Testament authors like Peter say that we're saints in exile. We're saints in exile. We're saved, we're redeemed, we're going to heaven, and yet we still battle this brokenness. We still battle this tension of living in this world. We don't feel like we're home because we're not. We're exiles. We're not home. Death still snatches our loved ones away. Um, Injustice still happens all around us. Satan still prowls. Sin still lures people away. We grieve, we mourn, we cry. It's what Paul is talking about in in Romans 8, that we, we groan inwardly. Sometimes, you, you ju- you've just cried enough. You cry yourself out of tears. Sometimes you're so broken, you ju- there's just this inside. You groan inwardly as we eagerly await the redemption of our bodies. The coming, the return of the Son of God. Like the nation of Israel, we, you and I, the people of God, we are longing in exile here until the Son of God appears. Some of you, you come into this season, some of you walk through those doors today with a longing. When I was a kid, Christmas time for me, the longing for me as a kid was snow. I wanted snow. You grow up in Oklahoma, you don't get a lot of snow. So even, even the prediction of snow brought good news of great joy. For me as a kid, I just didn't get to see it a lot. Today, that longing's a little deeper. It's a little more relational. My, my grandma Mueller has been, has been dead for 15 years or something like that. Every single year, I long to go to my grandma's house. I long to sit beside her, to hear her talk, to hear her laugh, to eat her cinnamon rolls, glory. But I can't. Because she's not here. She's gone. I still long for it, though. That's a longing that will never go away, and it's a longing that will never be met, this side of heaven. We all have longings. Maybe you have a longing to to provide for your family in different and better ways. Maybe you have a longing to have a child. Maybe you long to have a spouse. Maybe you you long for your adult son or daughter to come back to Jesus. Maybe you have a longing for some kind of a family relationship to be reconciled. Maybe you have a physical or a mental illness that you've battled and you long for healing, for peace, for relief. Maybe you see the brokenness, the war, the injustice in the world, and you you just long for it all to stop. We all have longings. We all have these deep desires, and you find that in this 1,200-year-old song, joy and longing at the same time. We're invited to bring all of that to him. Oh, come O come, Emmanuel. For 4,000 years. 4,000 years, the Jews longed for the Messiah. And then he came. For 2,000 years, the church has been longing for him to to return. It feels like it's been forever. And there are some who wonder, will he ever come back? I just want to remind you, 
We've only been longing and waiting for 2,000 years. Half the amount of time our Old Testament forefathers waited. But we still long it. We mourn in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Let's keep going. I promise we won't take as long with the rest of the verses. We're not going to be here for two hours, okay? Let's read the second verse together out loud. Ready? Here we go. Oh, come, O wisdom from on high, who ordered all things mightily. To us the path of knowledge show and teach us in its ways to go. So Jesus um, was born in Bethlehem, but he didn't begin in Bethlehem. His existence didn't start in the manger. He has been from all eternity past. The one we're introduced to in Bethlehem was wisdom from on high, who has ordered all things mightily. Um, the, the one gospel that doesn't take the narrative form of the Christmas story is John. John is a little bit more poetic, right? And in the first chapter of his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word, the wisdom the Logos, the, the eternal, infallible word of God was there in the beginning. The word was with God. The word was God. And he was with God in the beginning and all things were created through him. Jesus didn't start in Bethlehem. He simply took on human form in Bethlehem. And he is the source of everything. He's the source of all wisdom, the unfolding story of God's redemption. Paul um, highlights this in 1 Corinthians 1. But to those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So it, it, it's, it's God has, has put in Jesus this wisdom, this knowledge, this understanding. So even before he was born in Bethlehem, Jesus was the wisdom of God, which means you don't just find a savior who sacrifices us for us in the manger. We find a Lord who invites us to orient our lives around his wisdom, his truth, who he, he is wisdom. We need to lay aside. We need to not lean on our own understanding. We need to lean on his understanding. Show us the path of knowledge and teach us to walk in it. Verse three, let's read it together. O come, O come, great Lord of might, who to your tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. You can see the the picture from the Old Testament that this is pointing to. But there are actually times in the New Testament when the writers will point back to times when the pre-incarnate Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. Moments like the Exodus when, when Paul says that the people were led out of Egypt by Jesus. Or there on Mount Sinai when the people behold the glory of God. Paul says that was the glory of Jesus. Jesus was there all along throughout the story. He was Jehovah Boo, the God who surprises, <laughs> the God who shows up, okay? That's not an actual name for Jesus, okay? But you get the point. It's like Jesus shows up. It's like, whoa, wasn't expecting that. 
He would say, he would say about himself in Revelation 1, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. That's actually where we get the phrase, great Lord of might, because Jesus said that of himself. So think about this. The, the one we meet in Bethlehem, this helpless baby, is the Lord of might. The, the, the beginning and the end, the one who was, who is, who is to come. He humbled himself to human infancy. The, the, the almighty God was carried by a teenage girl. The, the, the almighty became all needy. The all-powerful became powerless. The baby we meet in Bethlehem is way more than meets the eye. He's way more. He is the Lord of might. Verse four, let's read this together. O come, O branch of Jesse's stem, unto your own and rescue them. From depths of hell your people save and give them victory or the grave. We talked about this title before um, a couple years ago, but we don't talk about it a lot. That the branch of Jesse's stem, you don't find that on a lot of Christmas mugs, do you? (laughs) It's like, what in the world is that about? Jesse is, of course, the father of King David, from whom Jesus' lineage comes. And, And the prophet Isaiah actually writes about this phrase, when he says, a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots will bear fruit. That was written hundreds of years after King David. King David was long dead and gone. But the house of Jesse, the lineage of David, the the, the nation of Israel, they're desolated, they're scattered. They're in exile, they're spread across the whole world. There's little to no hope for them. You could say they kind of look like a tree stump because a tree stump, there's nothing life-giving about it. There's no branches, there's no leaves, there's no fruit. A tree stump is evidence of what used to be. It used to have life. It used to have vitality. It used to grow, but now it's dry, it's lifeless, it's dead. Isaiah compares the people of God to a tree stump. They're lifeless, they're dry, they're dead. But there's one coming. There's one coming, a shoot from the branch of Jesse that emerges out of this lifeless, dead, dry place, and he will bear much fruit. So I just wanna, I wanna offer you an image, a tree stump that's been dead for a long time, and then this one small, infant, life-giving shoot that's emerging, that shoot is Jesus. I imagine as some of us look at that image, you, you can identify with it because the story it's telling is your story right now, today. There are dead, there are dry, there are lifeless places in your heart, in your life, in your relationships, in your work, where there's zero joy. There's no vibrancy. There's no hope. And I just offer you this picture today as an image grounded in the prophecy of Isaiah because the whole nation was dead. It was lifeless. It was hopeless. And he told them 
There is one coming. There is one that will be available to bring life, to bring hope, to bring fruit from something that seemed hopeless. And when Jesus enters the story, when Jesus enters your story, he brings life. He brings hope. He brings fruit. He brings He brings life into the long-standing dry places. He is the branch bearing fruit that grows from a stump. Verse five, let's read it together. O come, O key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe for us the heavenward road and bar the way to death's abode. Uh, Key of David is a phrase from the Old Testament. Um, It means the authority that someone has because a key opens and closes things. It keeps people out and it lets people in. And and the people who had the keys would usually wear it somewhere next to or by their shoulder, uh, which brings a whole new meaning to Isaiah's words that the government will be upon his shoulder the authority, the power to open and to close things, they're on Jesus' shoulder, they're, they're right here. That he opens the key or he holds the key that opens the door to heaven. He holds the key that closes the door to hell and locks the door behind you. Not so you're trapped, but so that no one can take you out. That is safety. That is security. That's also true power. That's true, real power. To keep you in heaven or to keep you out of hell, that's power. No one else has that power. But Jesus, he holds the key of David in the palm of his hand. Verse six, let's read it together. Oh, come, oh, bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night and turn our darkness into light. Have you ever had a long night? Some of you had a long night last night, I can tell by the look on your face. Um, our second born um, child, Mason, our, our little girl, she did not sleep a lot for the first nine months of her life. Um, my prayer life was humming the first nine years, or for the first nine months of her life. Uh, God, would you please just let her sleep? Um, we didn't get a lot of sleep. And when I say we, I mean Jana, didn't get a lot of sleep for the first nine months. Um, but it's actually, it's deeper than that. It's, it's, it's more than um, a baby that doesn't sleep. It's more than indigestion. It's more than just not being able to quiet your mind. There are also dark nights of the soul. Seasons, moments, um, relationships that just, they wear us down. And we can't quite figure out what to do or how to move past them. We're told that Jesus is the dawn, the bright and morning star that dispels a weary, lonely, fearful night. Zechariah, in his prophecy, after God opened up his mouth, after God had closed his mouth, Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. He prophesies in Luke 1, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness. He's talking about Jesus, that that when we experience the darkness of the soul, God's merciful compassion is extended towards you. Not shame, not blame, not guilt, 
that his merciful compassion extends towards you because Jesus is the morning star. He's the, he's the bright and morning star who meets us in our weary nights of our soul. Last verse, last one to read together. Here we go. Oh, come, O king of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king of peace. It's amazing to me, this, this, this was written 1,200 years ago and it's still just as relevant today. Jesus is the king of nations. There's a, a hint of this in the Christmas story when the wise men from the east show up to worship the baby Jesus. Now, now east simply means the nations outside of Israel. And there's another Christmas song that talks about, you know, we three kings. That's actually not in the Bible. We're told there's three gifts, but we're not told how many kings there are. I think there was actually an entourage of kings that showed up to worship the baby Jesus. And then they give them, give him these, these three precious gifts that they had. It, it was a foreshadowing, if you can imagine this, it's a foreshadowing of the day when every king, every world leader from the beginning of time to the end of time will bow their knee at the feet of King Jesus and they will lay their gifts down. Everyone that has ever led at any level will one day bow before the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace. The songwriter says he removes the sad divisions and binds in one the hearts of all mankind. Uh, I think we all bump up against the walls of division, either relationally or socially, nationally, culturally, politically. I mean, there are walls of division everywhere we look. It seems we can't get away from it. But when the king of peace reigns, there will be no more division, no more war, no more racism, because he is the king, the nations. Now, as we head for home, I want you to think about one more thing. Um, the, those of you who are musically inclined, you know this hymn is written in the minor key. It's why it sounds a little bit foreboding. Um, anytime you have a song written in the minor key, it indicates that something is unresolved or unfinished. The story isn't over yet. And that points to the reality of we, we know Jesus has come. We know God is with us. We know he'll come again, but we still live in this in-between. We still live in this tension where the story is started, but it's, it's not over with. There are, there are unresolved tensions in our world. There are unresolved tensions in your life. We'll always have those. But it's in those tensions, it's in the in-between, it's in the story that has started, but it's not finished yet, that we're invited to respond with this recurring refrain over and over and over again, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to you, O Israel. We're invited to respond by rejoicing in the midst of the ten tension, in, in the kingdom that's here, but it's not here yet. It's seen, but it's not completely seen yet. We're invited to rejoice even if the story isn't over. Because God is with us here, today, right now. And he's promised to come back. So, for those of you 
in need of deliverance from the captivity of soul. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, your deliverer. There is no one else who can deliver you. He is your deliverer. You can't get to him, but he's come to you. For those who need guidance or wisdom or direction, he is wisdom from on high, and he's invited you to surrender your own wisdom to his as the ultimate wisdom. For those who feel powerless and unable, you don't know if you can keep going. Jesus is the Lord of might who was and is and is to come. He has the power, the strength, the endurance you need. And for those who are dealing with dry, lifeless, hopeless places, Jesus is the, the fresh branch that grows in the pla- that place to bring new life. He is hope. He is meaning. He's life. For those who would like to stop fearing death, Jesus holds the key to heaven and to hell. For those who battle the dark night of the soul, he is light and compassion. He's the bright and morning star that dispels the darkness. And for those who wrestle with the sad divisions of our world and our relationships, Jesus is the prince of peace. So we can rejoice. We can rejoice again and again and again because Emmanuel has come, he is with us, and Emmanuel will come again. And we can rejoice and we can long, we can celebrate and we can grieve all at the same time. But the point of the song is in the in-between time, let's be people that rejoice because God is with us and he's promised to come back. And that's enough. That's enough. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you impress this on your people in in ways that are practical, in ways that uh, we don't quite understand. God, as we find ourselves in the tension of the kingdom that has come, but the kingdom that has not quite come yet, as we find ourselves in this in-between, just like our Old Testament forefathers did, God, we, we bring to you our longings, we bring to you our hopes, we bring to you our desires, and we trust you. We trust you because you're the God of promises made and promises kept. And we can look back and see all the promises that you have kept. And we can trust that you'll keep the promises that you've made for the future. God, for those who are here today and they, they came in with heavy, heavy burdens or big questions, big doubts, big confusion. God, I pray that, that you would be their wisdom, that you would meet them exactly where and how they need. And then God, I pray that you would help us to stand up, to leave this place, and to walk in obedience, to do what you've asked us to do. Give us the wisdom to know what to do, the courage to leave and to do it. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.